friends. Thanks again for joining me for a party this week. We have Ray and VJ with the Deaf End Podcast who invited me on to talk some closure script and JavaScript and web development and a ton of super fun things with Michelle Lim, who is at Vouch. We're also joined by another awesome guest and friend of ours, Paula. Hopefully you enjoy this episode and I'll see you again soon. Bye. Um, Yeah, so I'm Michelle Lim. I uh, used to work with Ray at Vouch. Uh, He hired me, actually, so thank you. And uh, so it's good to see you again. Um, At Vouch, I work on the mobile applications, um, which is a hybrid of JavaScript and ClojureScript, um, which I'm sure we'll talk about uh, at some point. And, maybe, uh, maybe. Maybe if we get to it. Um, yeah, and before that, um, I did a lot of different things. Um, I worked in nonprofits, um, teaching, freelancing. Um, so it's been a journey. Do you, do you play music professionally or something? Because I see like a really nice keyboard behind you. No, definitely not professionally, just for fun. No, oh, well, for myself. That's, yeah. That's almost actually, professional. <laughs> um, yeah. Actually, nobody's ever heard me play except for um, my partner who I live with and mm-hmm. my best friend who I send um, little recordings to. So mm-hmm. I just write songs for her because I love her. So are you going ah, to suggest so that nice. you might just turn around in a moment and just start playing? Probably yeah. not. Oh, shit. That's a shame. Okay. It could be in a deaf and first there. <laughs> Is there like a mailing list I can get on? Jesus. Hey, welcome to deaf and Jordan. Now go on. <laughs> I didn't know my bloody banter was unwelcome, I guess. Sorry. <laughs> no, it is. It is, but you're, you're, you know, it's like spoiler alert and, you know, so, Spoiler alert. As if people don't know, I crashed your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, they don't, they, on the audio, they don't know yet, right? So, you know, it's like a, it's a reveal later. So, this well, is the special episode because we have Michelle who will probably play music. I mean, you said probably not. That also means probably, right? It's somewhere in the middle. And then we have Jordan from her fancy Silicon Valley place. And then also we have Paula again as a cameo in this special episode. <laughs> Hi, Vincent. Hello. So, Jordan, you were asking about a secret mailing list that Michelle is distributing her secret music. Yeah, yeah. How do I get on the mailing list? That's, that's <laughs> That was the question. It was just this piece of witty banter, not really. <laughs> it's not as funny the second time or third time around, I don't think. Well, we might have to start the episode some... again. So again, you know, yeah, again for the third time. So keep it. For okay, th- you'll have to do, do it again. Do you produce the music, <laughs> yeah. Michelle? Um, no, I, I'm really not uh, super musical. It was just a a fun hobby that I picked up, and um, I was saying, like with my friend, it was a way for us to keep in touch because we live in different cities. So, you know, I had to get creative. So now I just serenade her. <laughs> All right, can I get on a mailing list to be your friend then? Absolutely. (laughs) 
So you sing as well as play music when you send her the music? Sometimes, yeah. All right, okay. Nice. Wow. But is it, is it um, I don't know the genres, because last episode we were talking about some, I don't know, what was it, punk rock or some other crap? Ska, I know, ska. I, 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 right, 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 happened to be online and I was wondering what Vijay's been doing because I haven't heard from him in a while and he said oh we're doing a podcast why don't you come for a cameo um <laughs> totally unprepared well that's the motto of death and no. but what's what's interesting about this one though is this is the first ever majority female closure vegetarian podcast <laughs> maybe it's this, run this is unbeatable well, well, at least two of us are. I mean, who is vegetarian? Michelle, are you vegetarian? Me too, yeah. All right. Whoa. Okay, then it's majority vegetarian. Majority podcast. vegetarian. I stand my ground. Okay. Yes. <laughs> Got ya. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like to truly turn over disparity, what is that? Um, the Stack Overflow thing came out a couple weeks ago, and I was looking at the, the percentages that we would have to get a podcast that's 92% female to to do like the inverse demographic distribution because apparently Ooh, software developers right. are 92 percent male so yeah i think we'll just cut out racetrack and then we'll be good to go <laughs> i don't think that's really the case um stack overflow is the the, the respondents tend to be self-selecting and fewer yeah. women respond to it mm. so yeah while there is a huge gender disparity i don't think it's quite as bad as that survey suggested 98%? I have a theory, Is that though. what you said? I think uh, yes. most of the... <laughs> most of the people asking questions in Stack Overflow are men because those are the people who get stuck on shit. So, you know, that, that also an impossible theory. Yeah, but is that is that good, though? I mean, what, what I mean is, like, normally men, like, if they're driving or something, they don't ask questions. That's the man thing. Man, the man thing is not to ask. Don't fucking ask, you know... Don't don't stop and ask yeah. somebody directions. Just keep on going and get it wrong forever. That's the male way. Yeah. So maybe speaking it's to a lot of people I know who've who've gone to Stack Overflow, um, a lot of people are put off by the aggression in some of the responses. Oh hmm. fuck off! <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm put off by the aggression in like half the chat rooms I'm in these oh days. Like Stack, yeah. Stack Overflow. But isn't it like Stack Overflow, the main reason people go there is for social clout, right? I mean, the, the number that you get, and that used to be a big thing. I mean, if people are, you know, I want my internet points, and I'm going to go there and then answer first. And it's like first post in Slashdot. So, so it's a bit thing. of dick-waving, in other words, which is why men yeah, tend to go there. Yeah. Oh, it could oh. be. Right. It's like showing off to other people that I know the answer or that kind of crap. And, yeah. You know. I also think that women may have a, this is just a hypothesis as well, but um, more of, I guess, a higher emotional intelligence where they would know who to ask in their life about a question. They have a, mm -hmm. you know, they have a tech question and are just going to like send it out into the ether of the internet to see what bounces back. But it's like, huh, 
well, doesn't so-and-so know a lot about this? Why don't I just send so-and-so a message and ask, and then so-and-so answers it. And so they don't have to go through like a, you yeah, know, like the, a publicly open thingy, you mean? Uh-huh. It can be riskier can for females to, to mm-hmm. be vulnerable like that online. Um, yeah. You know, being perceived as weak or unknowing or, you know, there are some yeah. things associated with that as well. So, um, you know. It can be risky to be seen as knowing things online. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I've encountered that as well. Um, hmm. Yeah. But I, I, I'm really interested. Michelle, do you get a stack of the fly very much? I do. I ask the internet a lot. Well, I ask Google. I don't specifically <laughs> uh-huh. post questions. I uh, look to see what's already been answered. And especially when I was first learning, I, I didn't really have people to ask. So I feel like I was, I was trained a little bit by the internet. So I am grateful yeah. for that. But um, at the same time, I do see that toxic interaction. And so far, I haven't interacted myself. Probably, you know, because of that impression, you know. Um, yeah, but now that I, too. yeah. Yeah, but now that I do have that um, support network, um, absolutely agree with uh, Jordan. I I would just much rather ask somebody than post a question on the internet. Mm-hmm. Well, it's also if it's a person you know, it's an opportunity to reconnect with someone. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a great way to keep connections alive. And- Puff, connections, social life. Yeah. No, that doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Next time I have a technical question, I'm going to you, VK. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I love the dumbest possible answer. (laughs) And then you'll stop asking me like, okay, this is a waste of time. Why am I even asking you? (laughs) But isn't Stack Overflow suffering from like uh, rot now, tech rot? I mean, despite all that bullshit about how that could never happen to Stack Overflow, um, Mm. isn't that exactly what is happening? I, I, the old answers keep on like that, that are kind of outdated or at the top because they were accepted yeah. answers. So you can't get the right answers now on Stack Overflow, mm-hmm. even though the sort of software's moved on. So it's still a valid question, but the answer's kind of like now, it's like past the fold, the right answer. Yeah, yeah, you really have to hunt and check the dates and um, you know, you look at the syntax to see if they're using old JavaScript or mm. ES6. And-, <laughs> <laughs> and like, forget about it, the closure script. I was going to ask you that too, Michelle. It's so hard. Like I find like, good luck finding closure script answers about closure script on stack overflow. That's oh, not, yeah. <laughs> that's not a thing, but what I'll do a lot is like, I'll find the answer in JavaScript and then do like a murder mystery connect back. Well, if this is it in JavaScript, I read it. And if I do that in closure script and I do this, like, do you do the same thing, Michelle, where it's yeah, like you have exactly. to find the answer? <laughs> yeah, yeah, find it in JavaScript. And then, um, yeah, I do that. And then a lot of answers that I find come from um, closure and Slack archives. Right. So they, uh, they come up in Google Zulip. and um, it's just a link to a web page with the archive. And yeah. um, so I find out some stuff there. And then also in um, the Jira tickets come up because <laughs> the thing that I'm like looking for is actually a bug in, <laughs> uh, that, in closure script. And I'm like, oh, like it's, it's broken. It's not me. <laughs> um, that um, that is then, something very difficult to accept, right? We always keep thinking that there is something that I'm doing wrong, you know, before even going to a point like, 
there must be something wrong with this shit already but yeah but michel so what is your journey to closure i mean of course there are the most important thing we'll get to later is you know how was it working with ray i mean he's he's so unprofessional at work as well and that's we'll, we'll get to this or he's that that level of annoying <laughs> even at work we'll, we'll get to these questions later but how did you how did you start programming and how did you end up in she did say i hired her mate just remember that okay <laughs> Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you, you always hire better people than you are. That's the whole that point. Is, that so. is, that, that's, that's I, 100% correct, actually. I, yeah. I admire you for that. <laughs> yeah, that is correct. So, um, your journey, Michelle. Yeah, so, I yeah, I don't even know where to start because it's been a start at the beginning. very non-linear, windy <laughs> journey. But my um, my education was in the arts and humanities. So mm. I didn't, I didn't um, encounter any computer science until after I graduated. And um, though, like, I guess my first entry point was um, my senior project. Um, I had a very unconventional major. Uh, it was a hybrid of uh, um, like fine art, literary arts, just this major called narrative studies that um, allowed you to take classes in, in all different departments. Um, mm. So that was one of my majors. And then my other major was interdisciplinary archaeology. I have a hard time saying that. Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, that brought in um, elements of anthropology and material science. And at the time, I just wanted to learn as many different things as possible. I was not thinking about my future. Uh, wait, 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 wait. We need to, we need to dig into this interdisciplinary oh, archaeology oh, God. <laughs> what what does that even mean i mean i thought archaeology is just digging stuff from the earth or something it, it means she digs in different things in different ways <laughs> <Yeah>. obviously exactly <laughs> do you even do it, dig <laughs> are you digging it <laughs> i did get to go on a dig in turkey um and wow. yeah and like survey different sites but what makes it interdisciplinary is that it's not couched in one department there's no archaeology department per se mm. um you take classes in um anthropology and um art history mm. and there are um there were archaeology classes like specifically about archaeology but they were in the art history department and um then you have some science like uh material science because you're looking at objects and um you know they erode over time and you have to restore them and mm. uh and then GIS as well so that might have been the first technical thing that i uh had an affinity with so uh i ended up working for one of my professors doing all the GIS stuff because she yeah. couldn't be bothered with it and you know it was buggy <laughs> you know if you've ever looked at ArcGIS it's uh a, it's you know it's a pain at times so um i found that i really enjoyed that aspect of it and making maps and um, i didn't do much custom scripting but it exposed me uh to that world and wow. um so that was one uh entry point into tech in a broader sense i guess and then the other was uh, through this final project, um, because my majors were so all over the place, I, uh, they were just like, okay, whatever, do whatever you want. We don't have a precedent <laughs> for this. So I, um, oh, God. <laughs> um, so uh, <laughs> I was really inspired by um, uh, 
a couple of writers. So uh, my main focus was literature um, mm -hmm. and uh, uh, Jorge Luis Borges, right. um, my favorite writer, mm. um, has a short story called The Garden of Forking Paths. Mm. And um, it's considered like a, an early inspiration for hypertext fiction, um, which is like a electronic new media thing um, in the 90s, I want to say. Um, where you would navigate through uh, a story through links on, on a mm. web page mm. that uh, would take you through, depending on what you chose, um, different parallel storylines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So that was really interesting to me. Um, and there were, there were a couple other writers who um, embody those ideas just through like nonlinear text and um, you know, multiple realities. Mm -hmm. And um, so Italo Calvino, George Perec. Um, so I, it's interesting because my uh, interest in tech came from literature. So um, for my final project, I decided to make um, a hypertext experience. So a web-based mm. um, narrative uh, that combined uh, um, artifacts, mm -hmm and stories behind those artifacts, um, both real and imaginary, um, mm. kind of um, integrated into these, this overarching narrative, but um, with different paths. Um, anyway, that all sounds super abstract, but the, the point is that I had to learn how to make a website. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, was there a bit of was there a bit of uh, magic reality in doing that as well? <laughs> Magical reality, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And as soon as I, um... so you ended up creating like a you know Neo Cities or Angel Fire or <laughs> one honestly, website not on that kind far, of not that far from that because <laughs> I, I was I learned HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, vanilla JavaScript. Yeah. Everything was yeah. super manual. Um, yeah. I think I, like towards the end, I discovered jQuery. I was like, whoa, Ooh. and like started and made animations and things. Um, but the idea sounds a lot more complicated than the actual product was, you know, because I, it was so basic, you know, I, I knew very little. I mean, I still know very little, but a little bit more than then. Um, and so once I started doing that, uh, I just wanted to keep doing that. And mm. um became sort of obsessed with it, just the actual process of making it, mm. um, not just the thing I was making. And mm. this is second semester senior year. So um, by the time I've, I've graduated, um, you know, I was kind of, I was a little bit lost. Um, I didn't want to go get a PhD to be an archaeologist. Mm. Um, I realized, you know, like writing um, for me was better as a personal hobby. And I so, um, you know, I went to work uh, in nonprofits because at one point I thought I, I wanted to be a social worker. Um, and during that whole time, I was uh, doing online courses in um, mm. web development. Um, just all my spare time went to that, um, thinking maybe I could get into it. Like at that point, I wasn't like I didn't have high hopes for it. Um, but I, I did have the opportunity to make websites for um, for friends and friends of friends um, who are mm -hmm. artists and musicians. And um, 
those are some of the fun, most fun projects I ever did because even though they were very basic, um, the designs and the ideas were really fun. So it was very um, kind of like <laughs> Neo City or yeah, Geo Cities, um, and uh, lots of fun animations and um, for releasing their music independently. So um, mm. that was cool to be able to put people's art out into the world um, through the most prolific platform, I guess, which is just websites. Oh, that's absolutely amazing. So you, yeah. you didn't have any formal so training in computing what kind then, of other than did the being scarred by ArcGIS stuff. <laughs> oh, sorry, I, I heard, I, I didn't hear either question because they were happening. BJ seems to have that. dropped oh, off the sorry. feed as far as I can see. Oh, yeah, he dropped off for a second, but he's gone uh, now again. I, I see but him now. Jiminy Cook's in the kitchen. This mob cast is getting out of hand. Yeah, it's <laughs> a fucking nightmare. 2,000 years later. Oh, finally. Okay. Everything is back online. Sorry. So yeah. I was asking a question. Who is Who was asking a question? I didn't know who else was asking a question, so I don't care anymore. I'm going to ask my question first. So... <laughs> So, so Michelle, you didn't have any formal computer education other than, you know, um, starting with ArcGIS and then building, you know, knowledge yourself, like JavaScript and all these things. And how did you end up in quote unquote niche area of closure script then or closure even? Yeah, so it was pretty much by chance. So after a couple of years of um, self-learning, um, just kind of by myself, um, I felt like I needed to start working with people, you know, and mm. you kind of hit a wall at a certain point of just being in your own bubble. And so I ended up uh, going to this meetup called Code for Denver, which is part of this larger thing called Code for America. And um, what I liked about this meetup is that uh, you actually work on projects. So it's not just a social um, event. Uh, you go there and there are teams working on projects, um, volunteering in uh, collaboration with local nonprofits. And, um, you know, I was working at a nonprofit, um, you know, it seemed very aligned. Um, so the first day I go, uh, I chose uh, the most, the least intimidating project which turned out to be a closure script project. <laughs> but but it was it was the least intimidating because the team was so approachable and welcoming and the project itself had a small scope. So for like, you know, for jumping in on something new, um I, you know, I thought this feels good. And then uh from there, um I What was the project, Michelle? Oh, it was it was a end of year report for a nonprofit. And so they needed um, data visualization and um, sort of a, they wanted um, something more interesting than a PDF with numbers. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and everything we did at Code for Denver was open source. So, um, you know, the idea was we could make this template and then other organizations could use it um, with their own data. Um, mm -hmm. And that was, one of the driving principles behind all of our projects was, um, you know, could this be reproducible and use and useful to other groups? Yeah. Um, and then did, after, oh yeah, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. Um, I was just gonna say that uh, 
after that project, um, our team gelled really well. Everybody really enjoyed ClojureScript. So we ended up working on two more projects um, in ClojureScript after that. Hmm. Did you have because some mentors? Was this like, Sorry, go on, Jordan. Yeah. What, I was say, was this a fig wheel days or shadow days or, you know, how, 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 how quote hard was, was getting a project started back then? Cause now it's easy as pie. Now I don't think anybody has any excuse, but when was this? <laughs> um, yeah, there was a bit of a, a barrier to entry. I think mostly having to do with environment setup. Mm. So, um, I had never made a single page app before or used <laughs> developer tools. Um, I, I used line again before mm-hmm. NPM. And, uh, <laughs> but wow. you know, like I said, I think, um, <laughs> yeah. Um, actually, actually I'm with you too, uh, Michelle, me too. I, I, cause I did that before. Yeah. Go on. Yeah, no. And I think it gives you a, um, a unique perspective because uh, you don't know the pains of the other thing at first. Um, and when people talk trash about it, <laughs> I, well, I was like, you know, I, it can't be that bad. I, you know, <laughs> no, they're right. Yeah, I they're, they're right about yeah NPM. that's the way I am too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> But I was going to ask you, Michelle, did you have some mentors on the ClojureScript project? Because it seems like it would be a big ask to just step up and start doing stuff. Or how did that all work out? Yeah, absolutely. Um, So we had um, a developer who was retired and then got really into ClojureScript. And then um, David, who I'm married to now, um, who uh, was kind of like the project lead and uh then myself and a high school student so uh we yeah so there were two experienced developers and then two of us who were just learning and um yeah it was a very uh learning oriented um environment hmm. I'm, I'm thinking this might be like a controversial question but you know controversy is our middle name in death and anyway so you know, i'm <laughs> going to ask this question and then see because you know michelle and and i know jordan you know you're also like uh, entered into software you know not doing all the shitty computer stuff you know uh, or the so-called formal education right i mean you you're getting into this one and and paula i mean you've been in software since the beginning of software pretty much <laughs> Like, 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 how many degrees do you have? No, I always have a lot of respect for people who are willing to come in and just learn software because um, yeah. my background is engineering. Um, I'm sitting on my desk. Uh, I'm, mm. uh, I'm an electrical <laughs> engineer and we did a couple of senior subjects, but I, my degree was about digital circuit design. Yeah, but is, isn't that like uh, everything was electrical she could engineering design back then, Jordan's right? Bed. <laughs> it wasn't that long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Apparently, yeah. um, <laughs> the hotel rooms. In... So that's a bit of a visual joke that off the podcast. Sorry about that. Maybe maybe it's yeah. can cut that one. <laughs> no, but but it, it I came, electrical I came engineering into the right? career. Yeah, I did yeah, electrical yeah. engineering, but yeah, yeah. Uh, I I came in. Uh, it was hard to find electronics design jobs 
at least yeah. ones that paid any good. Um, <laughs> and so I started doing software development and I didn't know how to be a software engineer. Uh, I didn't know a lot of data structures and algorithms and things like that, that, that CS teaches you. Mm. Uh, and I had to learn all of that and pretty much all of the, all of the software engineering that I know and that I use are things that I had to teach myself or that Mm. I, I was directed to by a mentor saying, you should read this book or, or, you know, so all of the really relevant stuff never came from a university for me. Mm -hmm. And I, I get really frustrated with uh, organizations which are only prepared to give a job to someone with a degree in STEM because yeah. a number of the people I know who are really good software developers never learned that stuff through a STEM degree. Yeah, yeah. I think this is something that I see a lot in, in at least in the Netherlands, you know, because that is the only country that I'm more familiar with or relatively familiar with than India. Here I see people in coming into software who are physicists or, you know, who, who studied pharmacy stuff and it doesn't matter and then you just hop into because i think as as michelle you're pointing out like software has become part of everything like interdisciplinary archaeology and then you you need to know software anyway for that so i think it's it it's kind of became like indivisible right from from other other so-called domains these days and programming has become like a essential thing that you need to know but isn't that like the thing of the code for america thing like because you you need to know coding as as part of your basic skill or something like that? Oh, you mean in order to participate? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So um, one, of, one of the missions was to um, be beginner friendly and mm. bring people in. But, you know, at times that, that gets difficult, right? Mm. Because people's time and resources are limited. And um, going, going back to the team I was working with, um, none of us really knew Clojure that well. Like the, there were experienced developers who, mm. you know, were like, oh, I discovered this thing and I want to do something with it. Um, so we were all figuring things out together. And mm. um, that, that made a big impression on me because, um, you know, it showed me you don't have to know something to mentor or teach it. You figure it out with the person who's also learning. You know, you're just yeah. you're just a couple of hours or days or months ahead of them. And yeah. so, you know, when I um, if I'm helping someone who's less experienced, you know, I'll just be like, I don't know what I'm doing, but we'll figure it out <laughs> together. Like I, I I'm I'm confident in our ability to figure it out. Um, and uh, but, you know, like in, in practice, it it, it kind of had to be the right combination of people you know like with these uh public um groups you you know it just it really depends on who's coming through and how committed they are and how much time they're putting in um yeah well i think that's like part of the advantage too of we're talking about um how the uh software industry has a lot of different people at this point of different backgrounds you know coming onto a team and i think that's you know i I would want my team to have the most different, you know, a myriad of perspectives because I think that's how you solve problems more mm. efficiently is I want my team to have all these different backgrounds and um, which is ironic when they say, oh, we only accept people with STEM degrees that that encourages like not good problems. Like, you know, it encourages hive mind that doesn't 
bring out the best problem solving strategies in people. Um, so that, you know, it's, it's funny that you experienced that, Michelle, you know, working on the, you know, the, the code for everyone's different backgrounds and perspectives really aided in that um, exploration and learning. Yeah. Well, don't forget um, closure itself came from Rich Hickey and he didn't come from a CS background. Yeah, yeah. That's true. You came from a oh, musical background, right? yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I did end up learning CS concepts that are very useful. The way I learned it is um, it's very odd, and I owe it to the mess of the public school system that we have here because <laughs> uh, I learned computer science by teaching an AP computer science course with no background in computer science because, <laughs> I mean, it, they didn't just pluck me off the street, right? Like I had been teaching yeah. for a couple of years in a, in a part-time capacity because I uh, sort of knew how to code and they cannot find teachers who uh, would choose to do that full-time when they can go write code at a company. <laughs> and uh, so yeah. I... Um, <laughs> So I, I did that part time with um, middle schoolers, just with basic. Um, well, I don't want to call it basic. I don't want to minimize, you know, yeah. the stuff that they were doing because uh, Scratch. Um, have you heard of Scratch? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, the MIT block based programming yeah, language. Programming it's language, Turing yeah. complete. You know, it's Turing complete. Yeah. You can do anything Everything. that you can yeah. do with another language, and um, you know, a little bit of Python, JavaScript. So it was more like a general exposure um thing and after doing that for a couple of years they uh asked me to teach higher and higher levels of it and then all of a sudden i was teaching an ap course and <laughs> in order to do that i had to really learn computer science and yeah. and then and then figure out how to teach it to <laughs> students who had never taken wow. a computer science course before and uh, it was a lot of fun. I had so much fun doing it, but it was the hardest job I've ever had. Mm. I, my heart goes out to teachers because I, I taught one class. And uh, there are teachers who are working 10-hour days, mm. um, being paid criminally low salaries. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, I don't know how they do it, but that's, that's how I learned computer science. I think it's it's something well, that round they, of applause as far as I'm concerned. That's yeah, fucking yeah. awesome. Yeah. Really good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's um I sometimes hesitate to uh talk about that because I don't know if uh it, it is a little bit irresponsible for the for the schools or for the students, right? You wanna uh I, I did my my best to do right by them, but I'm not a trained teacher. Um, yeah. you know, they, they asked me to stay on and continue doing it, but you know, they, the kids deserve someone who was trained in classroom management, mm. you know, like my classes, I think they were fun. The kids enjoyed them, but they got chaotic. Mm. Um, they, uh, need someone who believes in grades. I really <laughs> struggled with grading. <laughs> Um, they were like, you and, get an A, you get an A, you get an A. <laughs> Everybody yeah, like gets it's a. so <laughs> arbitrary. And, I think it'd be uh, nice if it, you get an F, you get an F, you all get an F. 
um, yeah, but for for that moment in time, it was it was the right thing for that moment, and uh, I got to bring in a lot of um, uh, projects from my freelance work and what I was doing in real life. And mm. speaking of Chromebooks, uh, that's all they had um, to work with, Ooh. so everything we did was browser based. And, you know, that's buggy as hell. Uh, no terminal, you know, like you, they couldn't really access the computer. Just just whatever wow. is, you know, mediated by Chrome. And yeah. so at the end of the semester, I told them, don't let this define your idea of what it means to develop. I have three screens at home and you have a 12-inch screen. All yeah, these right. things that make it, you know, add friction uh, yeah. are not what you would have to deal with if you went, if you pursued this, you know. But at, at um, what point yeah. you you told them like, okay, Chromebook is shit. You guys just start using Emacs. Then you'll actually, you know, realize the, <laughs> what is the meaning of life. Well, that's such a problem. <laughs> that's such a problem with even colleges have, um, you know, some even companies have people using these web IDEs that is just mm, so yeah. hard to use. I think you brought up a really great point, Michelle, with like the fr the developer experience, the friction that some of these tools have. And it's it's so frustrating to see because having people take computer science courses, say, you know, in high school and say they took that AP computer science course. And because the tools are so bad, they just really didn't jive with it. Mm. You know, we and we lose that developer forever who could mm. have mm. some wonderful, awesome things to bring to the table. You know, it's such a shame, too, if we lose. I think women are more likely to, you know, maybe take a casual computer science class in, in high school mm. or college. And then but then if we lose them because the tools sucked, that yeah. sucks. Yeah. Yeah, and but, hey, uh, if if there is anybody from your from your school listening to this, I'm pretty sure they are they they learned a lot of stuff, and then they'll be like super happy. So if you're if any of your students listening to this one, I think they should tweet at you saying, "Hey, that was an awesome class," and then I learned more than <laughs> you know <laughs> what I <laughs> what I expected. So I'm pretty sure that it's it's uh, you know it, especially because you had like industrial experience, right? Then then you get a different you you bring in a different perspective because. In the universities, usually, at least in my place, when I was studying, like the people who are teaching are, t are teaching by the book. They have no clue about mm. you know, any of the version control system, any of the build systems or tests or none of this shit. It's like you write a C program, 2,000 lines top to bottom, and then you're done. And then you move on <laughs> to the next one. Nobody cares about maintainability, like nothing. So I think yeah. you, you probably, you were even, you know, more suited to teach than you are giving yourself credit for you know like that that would be my opinion if i had like proper industry person coming and teaching me i would have been a better programmer when i when i started instead of writing uh, you know shitty code <laughs> well that i still do but yeah i think you're beyond <laughs> redemption dj yeah that's true okay. that's true yeah. i'm, I'm just gonna retire so. in two years <laughs> yeah. yeah i would like to teach again but in a different setting um, yeah. more of a ad hoc individualized setting i think mm, would be mm, better mm. for me um but i yeah i think it did help to uh have experience outside of um of you know formal education i did have uh 13 raspberry pies that i used for mm. uh, an art installation the year before 
So um, I, this was su such a, um, it, it, it was um, such a time consuming setup, but I brought all of those Raspberry Pis in and, um, you know, had monitors and uh, had them just try out using the terminal. And hmm. we, uh, there, there's a unit on hacking. And so I, um, I had a, a web app running on my computer and I had them DDoS me with <laughs> artillery, the command line utility. Um, and those uh -huh. are some of my favorite things to do and like SSHing into each other's computers and opening <laughs> random videos, Rick rolling each other. Rick rolling, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I, I would like to teach in an environment where that is conducive to that kind of stuff, you know, yeah. without, uh, it was a real hassle to, um, do that kind of stuff in a, in a classroom. So, hmm. yeah. So you trained a bunch of hackers <laughs> is what I just heard. <laughs> and you want to continue to train more hackers is what I'm hearing. <laughs> <laughs> Got it. But Paul, I mean, you, you also have a lot of mentoring experience, right? So how, how do you see this, like teaching via, you know, on the job versus, you know, teaching at different levels? And It's different when you're at work because of the motivation. Um, I mean, I've, I've also taught in an elementary school. And um, what I found was that sometimes the kids are there because you know, they were sent along to it or something, and mm. there's no motivation. Uh, the kids who are really engaged are amazing to work with, and it's just stunning mm. what a young child can come up with. And mm. seeing them learn how to do something for the first time is really makes it worthwhile. But there's mm. so many kids in the class who just don't care. Um, <laughs> and the more advanced <laughs> the, the, the group is that you're teaching, the more likely they are to have chosen it. And that it becomes more interesting because when people discover a new thing that they can do, then that's exciting for the teacher. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not sure if it is exciting because I, I used to do something kind of a dodgy thing when I was studying in university because I was like, uh, well, I was short on money. So I used to teach my juniors like the, so I used to just read the book and then, oh, this chapter I'm going to read and then tomorrow I'm going to talk about this shit. And this bunch, hand, handful of people, not many, uh, I think around 15 folks in the in the class. It's like an after university thing that I used to teach. And then there is like a couple of guys who are like super smart. So they are always asking me questions like four chapters because they somehow figured out this. This guy only talks about only next chapter for fuck's sake. And then I'm like, God damn it, these morons again. And I have to work really my ass off to understand all the crap to explain. And this is something, some stupid subject called system analysis and design and all the registers and all the crap and that electronics related thing. And they're always moving ahead. Like you have these kind of people in the class, right? They, they just keep studying too much or whatever. Super smart bunch of people. And they knew that I'm just like a guy trying to wing it off and then just, just read the next page and then talk about it before them. So you had, but, you've got imposter syndrome, but you actually were an imposter. You yeah, know, that's what I'm it's not. It's know. not. It's not syndrome anymore. It's just. <laughs> it's just the reality. It's part of my character now. <laughs> anyway, but. Well, I think that in that role you were you were teaching VJ versus I feel like um, teaching and being a teacher is like a slightly different role than being like a mentor. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, and um, you know they fill they they fill different roles yeah. and. Um, 
end on that. I, I don't know what I was going to end. That. No, I would agree <laughs> with that because a mentor, I, I think, really teaches directly. Uh, in my mm. experience, anyway, uh, mentors have said, well, have you considered this? And, you know, this is a thing you may not have heard of. You should look into that. And they direct me to go and learn my own things. And I try mm. to do that with, with other people I've mentored rather than doing a class or taking them step by step through something. Like I'll say, this is, <laughs> this is a thing that would be, that's relevant to what we're talking about or what you're trying to deal with. And you should look into that and just to provide those nudges and a little bit of direction. And it's different yeah. to teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And, and also be a, be a role model. Cause I, Paula, I consider, uh, so Paula was my actually assigned mentor Ooh. at the conj a couple years ago. And that's how we became friends. And I still consider her a mentor to me. And it's, it's so, it's, it's so many things. It's seeing how, um, she leads herself in the community, seeing how she, you know, carries herself, you know, I don't work with her, so I don't get to see that, but I get to talk with her about how her work is going. And, you know, being a mentor is just so many other things besides just, because I would say as far as just technical content, as far as what, because, you know, you're really about databases right now, really about like ClojureScript. And so as far as like technical teaching, we don't, I've learned a lot from you, but I, I, did, I don't feel like, I guess we relate on that level as much anymore, but you teach me so much in so many other areas. It's so much more valuable to me at this point because information I can mm. just go look up mm. or, you know, learn through yeah. doing or whatever, but being a mentor is just so much more than that. It's, it's being a role model. It's being a leader. It's, it's, it's just, um, it's a lot more intensive. And Michelle, don't you find that like, cause you, you've, when you were at Vouch, when you're, when you are at Vouch, um, when you're working at Vouch, do you find there's a mentorship uh, aspect there as well? Uh, yeah, definitely. Um, Heather, who's um, another teammate of mine, um, and I work uh, closely with David, David Nolan, who um, uh, I feel like what you were describing, um, Jordan, is uh, very similar. It's it's not like, uh, you know, here are the specific details of technical syntax or um, along <laughs> those lines. Fill in the safe condition. That's it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But they're bigger <laughs> ideas. They're... Um, I think he's really good at, um, you know, looking at a, a situation or a problem and picking out what are the like important components of this, um, mm. and you know what needs to be prioritized. Um, and for me, I think uh, when I you know look at stuff, I or like the, the details of things, um, I give them all equal importance and then get kind of lost in what what should I focus on or what needs mm. to um yeah like how how should this be implemented and um you know there's no uh rules for you know how to arrive at that right it's not like a cut and dry thing so um so hearing David talk through that stuff um, has been very, uh, I think I'm learning through osmosis, but I don't have like the, like mm -hmm. the detailed, um, you know, this is how you arrive at it. It's more like, let me just see it over and over and over again. And at some point it'll, <laughs> you know, through <laughs> osmosis, I'll, uh, you know, absorb it hopefully. Um, so 
also you're working with David Nolan. Um, He's got to be one of the most intelligent people in the community. Oh, yeah. And he's extraordinarily generous as well. Um, I mean, I've, all my interactions with David have been really beneficial for me. And it's amazing what he contributes back to the community in general. Uh, So working with him directly, I'm, I'm kind of jealous. It's it's a shame that I can't find I can't find where he is online now. Otherwise, I would have just pinged him and then say, "Hey, you know, speaking of David," and then we just introduce David, <laughs> pull him in. Yeah, I don't take it for granted. Uh, yeah, at all. It's um, yeah. Every every time we pair or uh, dis- discuss anything, really, I uh, I definitely feel like I've learned something or leveled up. Um, and like you said, very generous with his time and knowledge. Um, I think uh, in the enclosure community, I think this this ratio or, or the percentage of people who are so open and you know ready to share their experiences is pretty high, in my opinion. Because I, I worked in Perl and, and Ruby, and I mean, not to shit on other languages, but hey, this is a closure podcast, so you know <laughs> why not? No, but but it, it seems like you know there is there is some some sort of a um, philosophy in the community in in this direction, right? You know, that's that's what you hear, and you can see how Jordan is talking about Paula, and then I like we've been doing this for seventy five episodes now, and this this keeps coming back, like uh, you know the the feedback about people sharing their knowledge, and 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 also coming to this show and then talking, you know, telling us, uh, you know, uh, sharing their knowledge as well. So it's it's a, you've it's you've a learned a lot point. from me, haven't you, VJ? Nah, not really. <laughs> I mean, I'm. When, when, when I'm, whenever I'm talking about well, generous, like smart people in the community, it's it's a it's a set of people excluding Ray. That's basically what I mean. But <laughs> all right. But, so let's just so, let's just move on then. Shut up, VJ. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, Ray, gonna, Ray has gonna, been Ray has been my Yoda for closure. I'm, you te- know? I'm teaching you this, Matt. Okay, shut up. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> no, move back, moving back, uh, j- joking aside, moving back, uh, Michelle, to, uh, to the closure script stuff and uh, working with David. One of the things we wanted to talk about was the kind of workflow that you're using with uh, with closure script and storybook and stuff like that. Um, and Krell. Uh, and Krell, sorry, yes. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So not to, not to kind of go too deep a dive, but, you know, how is that working out? Or, you know, what, what was what's your kind of feeling as you kind of embraced that workflow? Um, yeah, it's, you know, at this point, I don't even think about it, you know, it's so, (laughs) you know, that's what you want from a tool, right? That you don't even have to think about it and, um, you can just run with it. And it's also been cool to see it develop over the last year because, um, David created the library and, um, anytime there was, uh, a bug or any friction, um, you know, you had the person who could go fix it. And, uh, and it's so it's, <laughs> yeah, no. And I think, um, it's useful to have people actually using it and see what comes out of mm. that. So mm. we are, uh, like guinea pigs in a way, Heather and I were our daily users of it and, um, you know, and it's developed, um, to the point where now I, you know, it's just so seamless. And um, I think uh, I think you already had him on here to talk about Krell. 
little yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah, we did. I think, uh, but usually, you know, it's, so. yeah. yeah, so it's 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 long time ago. You know, nobody, you know, in the internet remembers this stuff. So maybe it's a good idea uh-huh. to explain, like, what, uh, you know, what is the uh, product that you're working on? What are, what are you doing with ClojureScript now? And then, you know, maybe give a quick uh, idea of this tool that you're you're using and how. Yeah, so the product is a uh, digital key app. Um, so from your phone, you can lock or unlock basically anything. But right now, our focus <laughs> is automotive. So um, unlock the car, universe. Digital car keys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Eventually, we get there. Um, so the mobile app, um, David designed it to uh, separate the UI and the business logic. So the UI is um, is essentially a library. It's a um, node module of the actual app, um, but we develop it with Storybook um, in, and React. So hmm. uh, we have all of the components, the UI components written in JavaScript. And so any, any JavaScript developer can come in and hit the ground running, you know, making UI. And uh, I'd like to know more about that choice and how you, how you got there. Was it, uh, were, you, were you part of that? Did you start in ClojureScript and then you're like, no, no, no. All right. We need to go. We need to go and just use JavaScript components. Like how did that? No, I wasn't part of that at all. So uh, he had already set it up by the time I joined. But it was but, like uh, that though, Jordan. Yeah. It was. Yeah. It started like first. that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. Right. I, um, I remember hearing that the first iteration of the app was um, all reagent and um, mm-hmm. But that wasn't really working out. I think it got a bit convoluted. Um, but I can't really speak to that, so I won't. <laughs> um, and then uh, when I joined, we um, had the storybook, um, you know, separation of concerns. So with storybook, you can look at all of your components in isolation and just explicitly give it uh, any combination of props. And you, yeah. it's very functional. Like you see exactly what um, renders with, you know, this set of props, and it should do that every time. Um, and it also functions as uh, UI tests, mm. in a way, um, visually, uh, you know. So that's the UI, and then the core application is uh, uses Reframe and Reagent. And uh, we import the components um, mm. from that other repo. And then we pass it all the props from the, the reagent app. So all the business logic, you know, getting data, um, data manipulation, all of that uh, originates in the in closure script and gets passed down. Mm-hmm. And um it's yeah, it separates those two concerns. So when you're debugging, if every if you verify that in Storybook everything is functioning as it should, then you know, look for the bug in the closure script. Um, mm. And what allows us to develop in closure script for a React Native app is CREL. So coming back to that, um, it so it. Krell doesn't interfere at all with the like the React Native workflow, 
right? So you have the Metro bundler. Um, and so because those are separate too, and that's a, a theme that's coming up is the separation of concerns, I guess, decomplexion. Mm -hmm. um, <laughs> <laughs> um, so Krell just compiles the, the closure script and inserts it into um, the, the index of the, uh, the entry file of the React Native app. And then Metro Bundler can just do what it normally does with that. Um, and there's hot reloading um, that just works very smoothly. Um, I worked with React Native in my last job, which was my first full-time uh, software job ever. And we used, uh, we used TypeScript and um, um, the hot reloading just wasn't reliable, you know, like you would um, get the app into a certain state and then, you know, make some changes to your code, it would reload, but you lost all your state and would have to go click through. And, you know, there are ways to avoid that, but you had to know, like, how to avoid that. Like, you had to follow the the conventions. Um, mm. So with, uh, with Krell, like, that's not a problem. And, uh, and then, of course, the REPL, right? That's the... Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> Oh, the <laughs> oh, the okay. So yeah, you definitely don't have that in regular React Native development, and um, so it's just a really great developer experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, have you used Dev Cards before, nope. or, uh, Michelle? I haven't. Okay. What is that? Well, then, the, the, I guess that that um, apparently I haven't used a Storybook or Dev Cards. Um, but we are looking into, I, it's, I need to basically, um, and it provides from my understanding, a very similar experience of separating the business logic from the UI components. And it kind of lets you create, um, I guess a little, a little zoo, a little kind of separate everything out and, and, you know, test it out, see if you like the UI, but it, it separates everything out. But I think the dev cards um, is a closure script thing. And nobody though, quote it? me on that. Cause yeah. Yeah, it's probably yeah. not that useful in the mobile stuff, maybe in the in the native space. I'm not sure though. Well, just the experience of being able to develop mm. your UI yeah. Yeah, separate yeah. from your yeah. business logic and, and kind yeah. of that creating those layers of abstraction. Yeah. So is that like Storybook where you can uh, see your components in isolation and then import them? Or is, is there a different workflow there? I don't know what storybook is. See, I haven't is, so. used either tool, so I'm a horrible person to ask. <laughs> I don't know what storybook yeah, that's, is. That's, so. that's my understanding. Oh, yeah. I'm guessing that they're, they're the same, I guess. So My question no, is flawed because I'm uh, I'm assuming, uh, my question is flawed because I'm assuming like this reference is universal, so no worries. <laughs> I think maybe, maybe zoom out to storybook though, first of all, because storybook is really like framework. Yeah. It happens to support React Native and React and stuff like that, but you can use other JavaScript frameworks as well, mm -hmm. can't you? Mm. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So okay. that's the big difference is that you can kind of like use any kind of things in the JavaScript world, which is, which is one of the nice things about ClojureScript. You know, it's one of the things we wanted to do, isn't it? You know, when Rich made it and David, all these other things is to how do you get access to all of these lovely things in the JavaScript world that, you know, that you don't have in ClojureScript yet, or you don't want to reinvent, you know? 
And the UI is a really nice place to have that so, uh, JavaScript aspect. Because so Storybook does let you develop these UI components completely yeah, in isolation yeah. away from yeah, completely because okay. that's what my understanding. That's what DevCards does. Well, DevCards is a closure script okay, framework, my though, so that's a big base. difference. Is that so? You're right in in terms of like the isolation mm -hmm. and the testing and that kind of stuff. It's similar, but mm -hmm. the difference is that Storybook allows you to kind of like it yeah you can kind of like move the state of the application you can it's like you're showing users it's, it's mm -hmm. specifically to show users a kind of story for your application that's why it's called storybook so you kind of mm -hmm. like show it in like state um, you know like the opening state and then you can show it in with various states because you provide like you know like michelle mm -hmm. was saying you can provide a variety of pro uh, uh, properties that show the app in a variety of different mm -hmm. states so you can really drive the UI through Storybook completely, independently of the application. Okay, so completely. Storybook is more of a tool mm. versus DevCards, a framework that is, they, they, they mm. do similar abstractions, but tool versus yeah. framework. Mm. Got it. Mm. Yeah, I'll have to look into that. And I think the idea is Storybook and the idea we kind of adopted, why we adopted Storybook was because you can kind of have like designers and UI people and kind of like product managers mm. talking about things completely independent from the business logic of the uh, the application, the front end, because you can just, you can kind of like render the app in a very lightweight way through Storybook. You don't have to do all of the kind of, um, the heavy, not that the, the Storybook UI is simple. It's quite, no, it's not, but it's, um, but you could, but you can do it in an independent way in a way that like, yeah. yeah. You don't have to click through the app in like, the right sequence in order to arrive at a screen that looks, mm. you know, a certain way at, in this mm. state. So, it, you know, if I want to uh, share uh, a screenshot of something or just look at, you know, do, do my UI changes look right? Um, you just go into Storybook and you like, you give it the props um, that define the state you want to see it in. And um, you have a, a whole list of um, stories that's what they're called, that you define. Um, so you might have a story for, uh, you know, the default state and then, you know, with two users or, you know, however um, you, however many states you have. And then you can see immediately um, how did my change affect the UI in all of these states. Hmm. Oh, I have just been writing horrible comment blocks all around my components <laughs> for like, <laughs> you know, like a big chunk of a comment block that does like I'll I'll um I'll fake the clicks so I don't have to use my mouse using the REPL and it, it'll be like <laughs> it's a mess. So okay, I can get away from that mess. Good, nice. good to know. I like it. So um Michelle, um so you started with, with JavaScript, uh well the the how do you call that? Like the uh, fund foundations of the web, like HTML, CSS, and JavaScript, and then now you're you're working on the native stuff, pretty much like mobile applications. So, do you see any friction between, you know, the stuff that you learned, which is on the web, and then now we are bringing that web technologies uh, to build native apps in on, on mobile applications? Do, do you see any friction, or how easy was it for you to um, build native apps using the technology stack that you knew already? Hmm. Well, with React Native in particular, um, hmm. you know, when you're starting, it's uh, 
it does feel accessible because it's React. Yeah. Um, and but then there are quirks that you discover along the way. There are major differences, like you don't write CSS. All styles are JavaScript objects, um, and you can do that in React, um, oh. mm -hmm. but uh, you don't unless you need to conditionally style something and you know pass it to the component. But um, yeah, so you it's uh, you think about styling differently. Um, you know, there's uh, platform specific quirks yeah. to th yeah. think about and be aware of. Um, and yeah, the components are slightly different. Um, so you, you just pick these things up as you go. And, mm. um, but it's not like you have to know them all up front. Yeah, yeah. And you, you yeah. can get started and then you hit mm -hmm. something and then you ask Google and then <laughs> now you know. <laughs> Maybe it's the experience, so, the, the different okay, part of it. You said you think about styling differently. Oh, sorry, go on, Jordan. Go on. Well, I just want to touch on what she said about you think about styling different because I have seen kind of the, there, I guess, I, I, I feel like there are kind of two camps of thinking um, where you have, you know, uh, CSS, SCSS, and then this kind of, I'll call it tailwind style, but it's like the inline, it, it, it's more closely resembles like inline styling. Um, and then I, you know, there's another, uh, is it CLJS style or styleFy? You know, it's kind of that way of thinking versus like the SCSS, you know, just classic um, CSS. And which camp would you say that, that I guess your development style falls in, you know, I, using these, um, this style of development, um, does it, is it, which, which camp, does that question make sense? Yeah, that which makes camp sense. Do you think um, can you remind in? me, so Tailwind, is that the one where uh, you have, it, it defines classes for very specific, like margin top or margin left, and you, you compose <sighs> you know those in, as like your class names? Yeah, it's like it's like um it's like dynamic. I actually haven't used it a ton because I'm of the other <laughs> camp. <laughs> I am of the um CSS. <laughs> but my and I've seen I've seen Tailwind used and I've and I, and I have worked on a code base that did the same style of like dynamic CSS where like in each namespace at the top was like you know the uh the styling was defined and it was it was it was dynamic um it, it just it more closely resembles um inline styling is the best way I can describe it um versus CSS mm. that we that we all oh, know. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. No. <laughs> Did I answer the question? Um, yeah, so uh with React Native it's all inline styling. So you don't you don't have class uh -huh. names or um and then mm. your uh your mm -hmm. quote unquote CSS files or JavaScript files where you have an object mm -hmm. where you export an object where mm -hmm. um the um you know you mm -hmm. use the keys like you would class names. Um so it, they're all just key mm -hmm. value pairs and then um the values are objects mm -hmm. with um you know the the CSS mm -hmm. properties. And so uh with React mm -hmm. Native you are forced to do things that way, but you can come, like you can um, merge objects. So if you have, um, we, we have a, a basic style guide where we've just defined like your 
heading mm-hmm. styles and your body text and labels. Mm-hmm. And so um, mm-hmm. we, we can then um, spread those along with more specific styling. Mm-hmm. Um, and so mm-hmm. we, I think we kind of try to do both within the constraints um, mm-hmm. that are given. Um, yeah, yeah. And then in terms of mm-hmm. general usage, um, I have worked on projects that use, um, I forget the name of the library, but it's, um, yeah, I think it's similar to Tailwind where like you have a library that defines all these classes mm-hmm. for you and you you compose them in, in your uh, class name string. Um, and mm-hmm. uh, if it's already there, I, I'm fine with it. Like I'll use it there are major mm-hmm. benefits to it. Like I just, I just type in the classes mm-hmm. that do the exact things I need, but then they get really long. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, um, yeah. And then yeah. doing um, responsive styling with it can, you know, it get mm-hmm. cumbersome, but if it's there, I'll use it and mm-hmm. I'll enjoy it for what mm-hmm. it is. Um, if I'm starting a project, I'll probably just mm-hmm. define the styles myself because I do like having um, the, mm-hmm you know, that custom control. Um, mm. So, mm-hmm. I mean, I think in general, I don't, I, I'm not extremely opinionated about things that, you know, if it's there, if it's already there, mm-hmm. I'll use it, you know, um, but given the choice, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. you know, I'll do what, I'll do what I want. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I think not having and so CSS is it even able to integrate? Oh. Go ahead, Jordan. I'm sorry, VJ. You go on. Okay, <laughs> I'll I'll take it then. Fine. Yeah. So I, I was wondering because then maybe my uneducated guess would be that I did a little bit of iOS development at some point, so I, I don't think they're having like a compiled CSS or hierarchical CSS is going to match. I mean, it's not easy to apply that to you know iOS controls that easily. So I think it makes sense that in React Native that you're doing mm-hmm. code and code in quotes in uh, in the code styling rather than mm-hmm. extracting it separately and then defining because mm-hmm. that's usually not easy um, from mm-hmm. from my you know limited experience with iOS development because you're there you're each component you're styling mm-hmm. separately. You know that, that's the that's probably the reason why mm-hmm. those are separated, I guess. It's not like web thing is going to translate directly to uh, to native stuff. Yeah, my question comes from, because I don't really have, most of my experience is doing web apps, um, single, like SPAs. So I haven't done Mm. a lot of native stuff, which is where that makes sense. Maybe the other aspect of it, Michelle, to talk about is like the, the device, you know, aspect of it, because the big difference to me between like web development and native development is the fact that you have this, actual mobile device that you want to run things on. So how does that work out, you know, that you can actually run things on a device or on a simulator, you know, because obviously when you're running, when you're running in the web, you're just running in the browser, but with, uh, with, with the iOS and the Android, you've actually got hardware, external hardware. So how are you, how are you finding that aspect of it? You know, trying it out on a real bit of hardware as well as, you know, the simulator or the browser that you have. Yeah, um, it's definitely more cumbersome, you know, you can't, you, there's a bit of setup involved, you know, you have Xcode and Android Studio and, um, 
you have to enable certain permissions. So, uh, you know, when I do switch back to working on a web app in my free time, I'm just like, mm -hmm. whoa, this is so easy, you know? <laughs> um, yeah. But there's also, it's also very yeah. satisfying to see it on a device and, yeah. you know, use the app. Uh -huh. um, we're at a point now where most of the time we do have to run it on a device because, um, yeah, we use, um, like Bluetooth and things like that, that the simulator can't, um, simulate. So, um, you get used to it. Hmm. You, you're able to use the REPL and other things, all the other affordances on these devices that are very tricky in the JavaScript world or, you know, the kind of native world. Um, whereas with ClojureScript, you can run a real REPL onto the real device, which I think yeah. is a super, super awesome benefit, you know. Definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, um, yeah, it's super convenient just to be able to go in the REPL and like, and navigate to a different uh, screen or uh, run functions in isolation. And yeah, there's no, there's no uh, friction. It just works on the device. So Jordan, you're, you're on, on one end of like web application side, and then I can see Michelle on the other side. So Paula, did you dip your toes into mobile stuff as well in ClojureScript or you're somewhere in the middle? No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I, I mostly work on, on server or library style code. Um, mm. I mean, I, I do a little bit of um, front end things just to drive stuff that I've got, but I'm, I'm not talented in that way. And, uh, you know, uh, I, I'm mostly like to push computers around to do the stuff that I want. And the user interface things are, are things that other people are far more talented than I am. So I'll just, I create simple apps that have like a button on it to do something. Um. <laughs> that's, that's pretty much every app. So what I'm hearing is between, what I'm hearing is between the three of us, though, we yeah. have skills across the board. Myself, Michelle, whole and stack. Paula, we could <laughs> yes. kill it. I think this is the, this is the birth <laughs> the of a startup, stack. you know? <laughs> it's just you. you yeah, hey, exactly. Silicon Valley now, so. <laughs> we need to come up with one of those magical ideas that they have on Silicon Valley. <laughs> you can make the world a better place. Yeah. Totally. So far, I'm very unimpressed. I have to tell you, the most interesting thing is the circuit board <laughs> art above my bed. That's. <laughs> have you tried but... to put a rappel into your bed? You know. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh! I try. Actually, the the room I have here is surprisingly low tech. There's not yes. even like a USB. Like my seat on the Delta flight was more high tech than my room. There's not even like a USB port here. For much. Did much you check if there are any vacuum tubes laying around there? <laughs> You know, there's still like you know if you oh vacuum like tubes vacuum tubes the things before transistors anyway <laughs> yeah 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 oh, not not, okay. not, the, not the real <laughs> Dyson vacuum or that one <laughs> yeah I'm like do I have a did I bring my Dyson no I should have it's the one thing I didn't so you're down near the southern end of the valley today aren't you near Cupertino okay yeah I'm in Cupertino right now um, nice so. Um, Ooh, so you said you're in Denver, Michelle? Oh, I, I can, I don't, I think my audio dropped. No, uh, Jordan's audio dropped for a oh. moment. I just heard it finish with <laughs> Michelle. Okay. <laughs> One thing we should maybe make clear, um, Jordan's in Silicon Valley, but she's in a hotel room. 
Yeah. Yes, I am having some tech difficulties because I'm visiting California. Like I said, unimpressed with the tech in you Silicon know, Valley. In, Much better. In the middle of nowhere. I mean, Ray lives in the middle of nowhere in Belgium. He has better internet than Silicon Valley. This is not fair. <laughs> Don't tell him. <laughs> not fair. Oh, my question was, where are yeah. you, Michelle? You said Denver? I'm in Denver, Colorado. Are you still in Denver? Yeah. Oh, cool, cool. Where in our Yeah, we need exact address so we can send you like DoorDash <laughs> delivery or something right now. Please let us know. Well, I bet, I bet, I bet she's gonna be like, I'm real. No, I bet she's gonna be like, I'm real cool. I live in Boulder, and I'm gonna be like, cool, Boulder is cool, and then we could be like, I, I don't think I would ever live in Boulder. It's a, it's a little mountain bubble that I love to visit, but um, I don't think I would. Uh-huh. Huh? Are you telling me Colorado is no Colorado? Oh. <laughs> it's all right. No. No, she's saying she's too cool oh. for the coolest place in Denver. Is that actually what she just said? You mean Colorado? Denver and Boulder are different cities. Ah, okay. Yeah, they're they're about an hour well, apart. Okay, I think of Boulder yeah. as... Well, I think of them as the same area because I'm not from the area. I visited Denver and I went to Boulder, so I'm like, of course... Boulder must be in Denver. I was visiting <laughs> I'd say Denver. They're, very, they're very different. The Denver greater area, I guess? Yeah, you could probably slip it into the Denver greater area, but I think it's a stretch. Yeah, and they're yeah. very different. Okay, so I guess Ned Ned doesn't count as, as, as does the Netherlands count as Denver greater area. What's Ned? Ned? Oh, Netherlands. Netherlands. Yeah, I have to say, like... I'm a bad Coloradan because I don't go into the mountains very much. <laughs> I'm a city rat. I'm from New York. Um, I was born and raised in Queens. And oh. uh, so I came out here and at first, you know, I thought I would go spend a lot of time in nature and I wanted to be that kind of person, but it, it just <laughs> never, it didn't really happen. <laughs> Okay, that makes sense. So, how is the how is the closure community in Denver then in in Colorado in general? Uh so there are a couple of meetups. There's um Den of Closure and um functional programming meetups. Mm-hmm. Um I haven't been really involved. Um I know there are companies here, a couple of companies that use Closure and Closure Script, but um mm. As far as the community goes, I I feel like I'm pretty new. I don't um, I'm not plugged into uh, the matrix. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and it's been hard over the last eighteen months to really connect with local communities. Anyway, yeah, yeah, yeah. especially last year. Yeah, mm. yeah. Ooh, I have a question. As a closure scriptian, do you feel any sort of um, I don't want to say divide. Divide is too strong of a word, but um, have a hard time relating to, you know, because I do know like some people that are based in Denver, Denver greater area that are, you know, closure, very, very into closure and like data science. And like that is just not, doesn't have a ton of overlap with like closure script, for example. And I think I'm very similar to you in our development styles, kind of our interest and I know personally I've found a hard time like wanting to relate to these people so bad but just not having a ton of common ground 
Oh, that's that's how um, have you experienced that at all? Like, do you feel as a closure script? In- I don't think I interact with enough closure or closure script people in mm-hmm. around here in person, at <laughs> least to uh, to feel that. I don't know. I just need to get out more. That's that's the answer. <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I need to go find out my answer to that question. Yeah, and. <laughs> but isn't isn't like the I mean data science in the end there's a lot of visualization aspects which should be which should be a, a good fit for closure script. Well, there is a lot of XG boost there, not just visualization. Well, maybe I'm just not smart enough. I think also part of it is just like maybe I'm just not smart <laughs> enough to hang up the data science kids. I just <laughs> like I try, but I'm just you know. Um, I don't know. I, I dip my toes in and out of cyclone, yeah. you know, um, occasionally, but, um, but yeah, I don't know. I've, I've had a hard time trying, even just like the tools and stuff are just, are just mm. different. Even close, even though closure and closure script are the same language, mm. they're not, it's just, it's mm. just they're a not, different way of thinking. Yeah. yeah Paula, what are your thoughts on this? I was thinking about this as you asked. I mean, I go on closure in Slack, I go into the closure room and in the closure script room. And in the closure script area, the majority of people talking about things are uh, talking about uh, React and Hiccup and all of these UI mm-hmm. elements to it. And I tend to get involved more when Mike Fikes mm-hmm. starts talking because, uh, <laughs> I mean, what I'm building with mm-hmm. databases is um, it, it all runs in closure script. And so I'm... Uh, I'm connected to ClojureScript. I'm filing tickets in Jira and not many, but I'm, mm-hmm. um, no, I'm involved with that and I follow it and I'm, I'm really conversant with a lot of the differences from Clojure to ClojureScript. And a lot of what I write is in CLJC files. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I have a, a lot of interest in ClojureScript, but there's also a disconnect with the majority of people who are running ClojureScript because they're doing UI development, which I, you know, I, I'm not really focusing on that at all or, you know, barely touching it. Um, mm-hmm. And recently I've had a few things <laughs> writing code uh, for Ray, for instance, where I, um, I'm i writing closure and I get to interact with the JVM again. And, you know, when you're in CLJC files, I'm, I, I try to issue the JVM wherever possible and just... Being back in that environment in some ways is liberating because I, I can use the full power of the machine and I can, I can really dig into certain things that I can't do when I'm trying to keep it portable between the languages. Um, and it's interesting interacting with the community on closure versus closure script and closure script is the, this community, which is the, you know, how does the compiler work and where does this syntax take you and, What's the JS that's going to be generated from that versus the, well, how do I interact with React and, and, uh, and components and, uh, trying to create UI elements effectively. Um, so there's that division in closure script and then the division from closure script to closure. And it's, um, you know, and there's an overlap between the two of them as well, because especially with beginners, people who are doing saying, well, what's the most idiomatic way to write this? Or I've got this structure. What's a really good way to do this? Because I've got a, um, you know, I can't figure it out. Or I have an algorithm which seems to be too slow. Can someone come up with an idea here? And there's a real overlap between languages there. Um, 
And so there's like these subdivisions in the communities. Mm. Um, and I, I straddle some of them and I look on onto others. <laughs> and, and you, you Michelle, did you, did you try? <laughs> you, should, you should come work at Vouch because uh, mm -hmm. the SDK is written in ClojureScript. And um, so, you know, there is that straddling there because uh, the mobile app consumes the SDK and it also communicates with the API. And so it's not, it's, it's that middle layer there um, that is really important. But then you would be able to work with Mike Fikes. <laughs> and, and David. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> well, good luck tearing her hands for Cisco would not be very happy about that, let me tell you. <laughs> but Michelle, do you, do you already do you, you know, do you try something from... job interview process, though, so it's okay. <laughs> <laughs> Anywho, um, Michelle, so I, I was just, because now we are talking about closure on JVM. Did you ever try closure on JVM, like building the backend services or, or something, or were you mostly working on Closure script uh, area mostly. I'm sorry, you kind of went into this auto tune. Uh, Ooh, nice limbo. Okay. I didn't. I can didn't you, hear what you said. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Okay, that was. Uh, I think you missed my acapella performance. But anyway, um, <laughs> uh, I, I was just asking because most of the time uh, it seems that you're working on uh, closure script side of the world. Did you ever try anything with uh, closure on JVM? Did you work on it? Did you build any backend in, in your web apps or at, at, at the job? Um, I never really worked on it directly, but um, at Code for Denver, there were um, backend services written in closure. So I would dip my toes in there. And um, I anything I know about Java, I learned through that, like through um, interop. Um, hmm. with closure so i i mean i find that really interesting i would like to learn more um yeah yeah and at vouch too actually where um i've been getting more exposure to java um through the android bridge um hmm. of the sdk and um i i've really enjoyed that actually like it java is um uh <laughs> it's, it's it uh it's a lot wordier for sure um but there are cool things about it like there there are cool things about it and the same with objective c um it's good to see these older languages you know like i to have the full picture the lineage of these things yeah and um you 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 make me feel oh old gosh. now Closure script kid over here. I like the older languages. Yeah, yeah. You're oh no, I really didn't mean to do that. <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I, I'm not taking. I'm not taking it in a derogatory way or anything. It's, it's true. I mean, like Java has been there for more than I don't know, fucking twenty years now. So it's it's an old language. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah, and you can see where a lot of things um, in JavaScript came from. Um, borrowed ideas there, and yeah. Um, you know, just like learning any new language is really fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So I, I don't want you guys, but I think we've been going for a long time and this has really been fascinating and awesome. But uh, I think we should yeah. start to kind of like gently wrap it up with uh, your favorite question, VJ. Yeah, you know? of course. I mean, that is the only question that we are all here for. You know? yeah. so, so, Michelle, I mean, do you use Emacs or some other shit? Uh, That's the bigger <laughs> question here. 
<laughs> you mean for uh, my IDE or yes. for for everything? What do you mean by IDE? Uh-huh. I mean Emacs is for everything. From from walking from walking the dog desktop too. To, you can Emacs to feeding, yeah. feeding your plants. You know everything. Uh, I use VS Code occasionally, mm. IntelliJ. And uh, Vim in the terminal. So well, so I think yeah. this, is a, this is episode number seventy-seven. So we're gonna cut this part out, and then we'll make sure that you know everybody knows that you're still using Emacs. You know, <laughs> no. I hope we can still yeah. be friends. Uh, we'll see about that. You know, <laughs> frenemies. I think is the yeah. difference. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 I think we, we, we're all friends. I mean, Emacs is going to be there forever anyway, so we have plenty of time to catch up. You know, <laughs> like, yeah. One day, one day, I'll I'll venture into that. See what it's yes. all about. Please do. <laughs> so, so Michelle, is there is there any like other like subject or area that you think would be interesting to cover just in the last like five or ten minutes? Just uh, that sort of kind of like that that you want to just get out there. Um. Your secret music email list, mailing list. <laughs> that is the biggest um, one. Well, so these days, um, more than music, um, I I would say I do more visual or like interactive art um, mm-hmm. with yeah, always with some kind of electronic component. Um, and um, I guess that that is sort of where I came from. To um, as I was getting my bearings with coding, I was I was trying things out through um, art installations, or I did a residency at uh, Library Twenty One C, which is like a you know library of the twenty first century with a makerspace and trying to um, uh, you know make that more accessible. And um, so I, I've uh, yeah I, I consider that like sort of where I'm coming from and um, hopefully can stay connected to even as I go in this different direction. Um, Mm. And uh, that's all I got. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, so much. It's so much. No, this has been brilliant. It's really fantastic. Yeah, yeah. Thanks a lot, Michelle. I think, you know, it's it's kind of an inspiration to see your journey from you know, non-computing stuff mm-hmm. and then getting into computing and building uh, one of the, probably I think one of the most impactful kind of projects that 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 you're working on, right? So it's it's awesome to see. And then using, uh, learning completely new language and applying your skills across everywhere and and also teaching kids. And, you know, like, I, I, I really hope at least some of your students are going to listen to this podcast and they feel like, yes, you know, <laughs> that's our teacher. And that's that's that should be a really proud moment. And, you know, we wish you like a really continued success on on this one. And I'm sure Ray did a good job of, you know, picking the right person for for Vouch. <laughs> so that, that's for sure. And and thanks a lot for gracing this episode, uh, you know, from all the way from Silicon Valley, Jordan. And yay. And we'd like to have you more crashing this one and special cameo appearance by <laughs> Paula, <laughs> like the last <laughs> second. <laughs> sorry, sorry for pulling you into this at the last minute or last second. I was working on a talk and I, th- I thought, oh, I haven't heard from DJ in ages. And I just said hello and, and like, oh, we're running, we're doing a podcast. You want to do a cameo? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Oh, I'm losing battery. Oh, oh, I'm dropping off my 2% <laughs> boarding. Oh, God, bye. 
Thank you for listening to this episode of Defan. And the awesome vegetarian music or the track is Melon Hamburger by Pizzeri. And the show's audio is mixed by Walter Dullert. I'm pretty sure I butchered his name. Um, maybe you should insert your own name here, Dullert. Walter. If you'd like to support us, uh, please do check out our Patreon page. And you can show your appreciation to all the hard work or the lack of hard work that we're doing. And um, you can also catch up with uh, either Ray, with me, for some unexplainable reason. Uh, you want to interact with us, then uh, do check us out on Slack, Closure and Slack or Closureverse, or on Zulip, or just at us at Defen Podcast on Twitter. Enjoy your day and see you in the next episode. Seventy-seven. I'm a pro at this now. After seventy-six episodes. <laughs>